Let me start today by asking you a question, and this is a really important question, so think with me for a moment. Let's start with this. All of us have positions about, about issues and things in life. For instance, you've got opinions about what's right and what's wrong. You have thoughts about what's good and what's bad, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, what's wise, what's unwise. You have thoughts about sex. There are positions that you hold about sex in your mind that you think this is okay, this is not okay, it's okay to be with this person, it's not okay to be with this person. You have ideas about money, you have judgments that you've made about how to use money, and you probably have thoughts about God in the afterlife. It could be that you say, Mark, I have a thought about God, I don't believe in him, I'm an atheist or an agnostic. Well, first of all, I'm just thrilled that you're here today. But my point is, all of us do have positions. And, and I hear people talk about you know, what happens after you die? Well, I think this happens, or I, I sort of think we all go to heaven, and at least we're in a better place, whatever that means. We become angels, and we float around, and we twang on harps, and, and we, we float on clouds. And, or we come back as something else. Maybe we come back as a squirrel, or a breeze, or a feather, uh, or a sneeze, or something like that. We, we, we just we come back. And, I mean, it, this is the point. I'm just saying we all have differing views, and it would be really interesting in a service this large to just find out what the divergencies and the diversity of our views would be on all kinds of things. And, and for instance, I mean, I know uh, if you, you would almost have to be from another planet not to realize how big the issue of marriage has become in our culture, and chances are you have a particular point of view on the question of, of who can get married because it's a hot-bitten issue in our culture today. And you may, say, you may say, well, marriage, I think, is just between a man and a woman, and so I think only a man and a woman can get married. But there are others of you who say, no, I don't hold that position. I think that two men could get married or two women could get married. And so we, we're, we're divided as a culture about who can get married. And even if we resolve this one, it'll probably continue to go because, you know, someone will say, well, I think people who love each other ought to be able to get married. Well, what do you think about five? What if five people loved each other? You say, well, no, it's got to be two. Why? Why does it have to be two? You say, what's the law? Well, the law changes. You see what I'm saying? All of us have <clears throat> all kinds of views about what's good and what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's wise, what's unwise, what's healthy, what's unhealthy. We have views about sex. We have, we have a sort of an idea about how we use money, about what's good and what's, what's not good, about God and afterlife, and on and on it goes. But here's the question that I want to ask because I don't think we ever get here very often as a culture because here's where we tend to stop. We tend to stop with something like this. It's a free country. Everybody has a right to their opinion. Bingo, absolutely true. That is so true. And I'm, you know, all of us, as good Americans, if you are an American, all of us would say that's true. We, we believe in freedom of thought and right to think the way we want to think. Everybody has a right to their opinion. But we don't go to the next step very often. And that's this. What validates your opinion? What validates your judgments? In other words, the things that you think about what's right and what's wrong what makes them right? What makes them truly wrong? If you think something is okay or it's not okay, what makes it okay? What validates that as being okay or not okay? I have a friend for many years. I used to go downtown and have lunch with him. And he was in a bank building downtown. And, and uh, he would always remind me whenever I got there, Mark, be sure and bring your parking ticket up. Because I needed to get it stamped or else I'd have to pay a king's ransom to get out of the parking garage. And I always thought to myself, why can't I just get my own stamp? You know, why can't I just go down to, you know, the office supply store, get a stamp, get an ink pad, stamp my parking ticket, and, and say, hey, I think I'm okay. Well, you and I know, my car and I would both still be in that parking garage. The, the other day, I was, I mean, sometime back, I was on a cruise and, and in the Caribbean, and, and, and we were going to stop at Key West before we came back 
to Miami. And when we got off at Key, Key West, we had to go through customs. And, and I had to take my, my, my ID card from the cruise and give it to the U.S. customs official. And they checked my passport and they, you know, they took my information. And then they took a, a punch. And it's a very creative punch. You can't see it, but it's got a really cool design to it. They took a punch and they punched my ID card. And they gave it back to me. When I got to Miami, Customs looked at my card and said, oh, you've already been through Customs. Come on through. Well, I got, you know, I have a vivid imagination. I got to think, why can't I just go to, uh, you know, why can't I go to Office Supply Store? Why can't I go to Walmart and just get a punch and punch my own? I'd be, in a, I'd be in jail somewhere right now. Because you would say, Mark, you know what? It's your own punch. It's your own stamp. But it didn't truly legitimize it. And that's what I'm asking today. That's the only point in this weird message that I'm, I'm bringing today. What is it that legitimizes what you believe? If you were like the average postmodern American, here is what you would say. You would say, Mark, I do. I do. My thoughts are right because they're my thoughts. My judgments are right because they're, they're my judgments. My positions are right, and, and we will defer back to, for some reason, we default back to that, well, everybody's got a right to their opinion. And so from somehow we make this huge quantum leap to, I'm the one who decides what I believe. And if you're a postmodern American, which I am and you are, most of us, unless you're from another country, or you really, really born a long time ago, that's, that's, what, that's how you think. Now you say, Mark, what do you mean by postmodern? This is really complicated, so take notes here, okay? Sociologists tell us that there are three main periods of time. There's pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. Isn't that deep? Pre-modern, modern, post-modern. Pre-modern pre era of time goes pretty much from the beginning of time, beginning of human history all the way to the Industrial Revolution. And here's the prevailing concept of the pre-modern pre -modern thought, pre-modern human beings. We, don't, we want to know the meaning of life. We don't know the answer. How did we get here? Where are we going? What's the purpose of life? So in the pre-modern world, leading up to the Industrial Revolution and the beginning of time, here's how it goes. We don't know the meaning of life. We don't know how we got here. We don't know where we're going. We don't know why we're here. We can't know. Some higher source is going to reveal it to us. And you have all the world's religions forming during the pre-modern era. But beginning with the Industrial Revolution, there was a proliferation of science and technology. And after all, at that point, the idea was there's so many thoughts about God, and a lot of them were extremely ridiculous. As you and I all know, people worship, you know, planets, worship cats, worship frogs, whatever. People were saying, you know what, the idea of God is outworn and outmoded. God is no longer a useful hypothesis. And with German rationalism and all the other schools of thought that were similar there actually began to be a, a, a statement or a slogan that became widely accepted. God is dead. We don't know the meaning of life. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going. We don't know why we're here. But science is going to reveal it to us. That was the concept from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution until late 60s. But there was a problem with science. Because although it did make our life easier, I guess, and although it, technology brought in a lot of advancements and a lot of help, and especially in the areas of medical health, the problem was science now was raising questions that were much bigger than we ever thought we would have to deal with. End-of-life questions. Technology questions. Is man going to become outmoded? And on top of that, by the 60s, there were enough nuclear arsenals on the planet to blow up the world multiple times. And science had not given us the answer, although it had helped us and it was beneficial in many areas. Science had scared the living fool out of us. And beyond that, even with all of our technological advances, we still didn't know 
where we came from, where we're going, what, and most of all, even if people took a hypothesis from science in regard to those first two, the larger question, what's our purpose? And so in the 60s, it was as almost, as, almost as if the culture just gave up on trying to figure where we came from, where we're going, and the meaning of life. And we enter what is now called the postmodern era of time. And in postmodern thinking, it goes like this. There is no answer. And, 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 and everybody's got their own answer. You've got your truth. I've got my truth. Have you ever noticed how you hear that in our culture today? Well, that, that works for you. That's great. That works for you. That's your truth. This works for me. This is my truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. But there's an Achilles heel with postmodernism. If everything is okay, and this is what we're wrestling with as a culture and as a leader of a great church, I see it every day. If everything is okay, the problem is not everything works. See, if I take the postmodern concept into a pharmacy and I say one serum is good as another serum, well, that's fine unless I have diabetes. If I have diabetes, it better be insulin. You get where I'm going with this, and as I say, this is a serious challenge for us as postmoderns to put our arms around. What is it that validates? I mean, what stamps our parking ticket? What is it that punches our ID card? What makes the points that we believe true? Well, if, as I said, if you're like the average American, you would say, well, Mark, I do. I, I decide what I believe. You know what? what's strange about that? Even though probably many of us hold that point of view, we would never articulate what the reality of that statement infers, and it's this. I am the center of the universe. I am the center of the universe. I don't know if this is what's behind reality shows, but I think it might be. I've never seen the Kardashians, but how could you live in our culture without hearing about them? And, and I have a good friend who was telling me about something because he knew I was do, getting ready for this talk, and, and so... <laughs> He was telling me about Kim Kardashian being on Pierce Morgan, and, and Pierce was talking to her about her life, and she let out in that interview that she gave 10% of her income to her church. And so that one thing led to another, and so people began to discover that Kim's mother, Kris Jenner, had belonged to a mega church in Southern California, but the minister had gotten himself in trouble morally and, and through a lot of misdeeds, wound up working for a Starbucks, but Chris went looking for him, found him, and bankrolled him to start a new church. Now, I don't know enough about that story to, keep, to comment on it. I got some thoughts that race through my ADD brain. But I, I, I think what's really interesting about that, and this is not the comment from, a, from a, a religious blog. It's a comment from a secular blog. The question was asked, are we now in the age of designer religion? And that's a, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Are we now in the age of designer religion? If this is your first time to be part of this series, our series is called Strange But True. And I've cherry-picked four Bible stories that probably most people don't know. They're very unusual stories, odd stories, but they have huge lessons. For today's story, The Stolen God, I want to take you to the book of Judges. Now, if you have a Bible with you or if you have one at home, you can find the book of Judges probably, oh, a little ways through the first part of the Old Testament. Judges, if you've heard the story about how that Moses led the Israelites into the promised land. The period of the judges is after that, when they are living in the promised land. And the book of Judges is a really bad time in the history of the Israelite people. It's a story of what happens when people have no guidance. In fact, in the, we're going to be in chapter 17, and it's a freaky story. 
But right in the middle of the story, it's as if God gives us an explanation for all the freakiness. And this is in Judges 17, 6. It says, read this with me. In those days there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. That's what the message gives it to us as. The New Living Translation says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You know, I've been communicating for years and pastoring for 36 years, and and people are always coming to me, especially people that love to get into Bible prophecy and last days events. And people are always saying, Mark, do you see American prophecy or do you see America in the Bible? And I always laugh and say, yeah, I see America in the book of Judges. Because it was a screwed up time. They were freaking messed up, as I did a series on them some time back. It was a crazy time. And the reason why it was crazy is people felt, did whatever they felt like doing. They did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So if you had asked the people in Judges, what legitimizes what you're doing, they would say, I do. I decide what is right. Now, with that in mind, I want to take you to Judges chapter 17, verse 1. And I'll read the story to you. Here we go. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her, and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. In honor of my son, I will have an image. That's, uh, read that, God. I will have a God carved and an idol cast. Now, if you read that with me, that was a lot of detail to go through real fast, but is that a reality show looking for a camera? <laughs> First of all, you got a kid named Mike. I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's 15, maybe he's 25. I, we well, got a kid named Micah, and he's a thief. And not only is he a thief, he steals from his mama. What kind of guy would steal from his mama? I mean, you know, this guy's like a class A jerk. I mean, it's one thing if you steal from a stranger. That's bad. You steal from your mama. But he does. 1,100 pieces of silver. That is a ton of cash. I mean, this is a very well-to-do family. This is a rich family. I mean, it's a truckload of money. And, and not only do you have a thief for a son, you have a cussing mama because mama's got a big mouth. And so she begins to just put all kinds of curses and hexes on the person who stole her money. And Micah hears her cussing, and Micah thinks, oh, no, I'm going to have a hex put on me. Now, guys, please work with me for a moment here. You and I live in a culture, and I'm 56 years old, so I've, I've watched it happen during my lifetime. We live in a culture that is growing more and more godless. Because some of you are 25 years old, and, and you never knew a different world ever existed. But there was a time in America when it was all right to talk about God. There was a time in America when it was all right to pray at graduation services. In fact, most high schools had baccalaureates and brought a minister in to talk to the graduates. There was a time in America when it was okay to read the Bible in school. I know because I did it in public school in Texas. There was a time when it was all right to mention the name Jesus in a public setting. But see, here's the deal. Some of us have bought into the concept that it's not constitutional. We're like the bobblehead doll that you just, you know, hit the head and... We'd have got it's unconstitutional. Yeah. Sorry, I lived in a time when it wasn't unconstitutional. We'll set that aside. But here's the thing that I discover. And, and, and because we are very we are a very bright culture, we're a very knowledgeable culture in so many ways. But here's what I discover: in the absence of having the true God, people will believe the strangest stuff. People will believe the most superstitious stuff. I mean, I used to, this is personal, I'll get off it real fast. I used to love the biography channel. I love biographies. And yesterday I was watching a football, college football game, and, I, and it, was in, you know, it was a commercial break, and I did what guys do. I'm scrolling through to see what else is on television. 
And I come across the Biography Channel. And you know what's on the Biography Channel all day yesterday? Paranormal stuff, ghost stories, haunted houses, psycho kids. I'm thinking, you know what? We're, we're probably the, most, the best educated culture in the United States, and we got a ton of people that believe in ghosts and believe in, you know, paranormal kids. Why? Because when you lose the true God, you start believing superstitious stuff. And so that's what happened with Mike. I mean, Mike didn't have a real relationship with God. He heard Mama putting a hex on him. Nobody can put a hex on anybody else. But he heard Mama putting a hex on him. He thought it was going to happen. So he went to her and he confessed and he said, Mama, I was the one who took your silver. And Mama said, oh, I called you cussed. I didn't know it was you. You're blessed. <laughs> now we're laughing. But I'm telling you, that is where we live in 2012. Notice that this story has a permissive culture and flexible values. I mean, this is a guy that felt okay, it was okay to steal from his mama. But on the other hand, he sort of has this idea that there's a supernatural out there and a hex might, might work. And mama is cussing him because, after all, it's wrong to steal until she finds out, finds out Micah stole. And all of a sudden, it's okay to steal. And so we've just whitewashed this whole thing, and we've decided it really wasn't theft in the first place because, after all, mama decides, making it up on the fly, that the money was really supposed to go to make a god. And since Micah is her son, we're going to make a god in honor of our son, and we're just going to whitewash this whole thing. Online flexibility, and I love it. And especially when it comes to, you know, flexible working with a particular website. Online flexibility has given us a prefix. And that prefix is my. My MSN. My whatever university you go to. And that's cool. I like that. I love customization. And so really, that, that's the thing. I mean, we're, we're living in a culture where there is so much flexibility and customization that, that that term my, it can be applied to just about anything. Well, Micah is going to do that because he has decided that he needs religion. And if you're stealing from your mama, you probably need something. And so Micah's decided that he's going to mend his ways and he's going to get religious, but he's going to have my religion. He is going to have designer religion. And he does three weird things, and I want to show them to you real fast. The first thing that he does is he decides to make his own God. Now, the cool thing about making your own God is you can determine what it is. You can determine what he, she, it is. You can, if you're making your own God, you can decide ahead of time what you want your God to be. You never have to worry about that God holding you accountable. You never have to worry about that God not being PC. You can just sort of make a God in your own mind. And I think that's, Micah did it realistically. You know, he did it tangibly. But I think a lot of, a lot of people today sort of make their own God. And they'll say something like this. Well, I think God is like this. Or God is a loving God, so he'll, 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 he'll punch any card I present to him. It's like, because God is loving, he's permissive. He's like Micah's mom. You know, I, I can do wrong, but if God sees me doing wrong, then it's okay. And he'll punch my card. And I'll get waved through. Well, Micah did. He made his God. Read this in Judges 17.4. Micah's mama took 200 silver coins, gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. Guys, watch this real, please, real, real closely, please. There are two, two expressions I want us to catch. Number one, these were placed, were placed, number two, in Micah's house. 
What does that tell me about Micah's God? First of all, it was, it was placed. Now, can you get this in your head? You know, Micah now has this expensive silver image, this God that he takes home, and he, he goes in and he puts his, he, he's, do I want my God over here or do I want my God over here? I think, I think he looks better over here. So I'm going to set my God here, and, and is, this, is this a good angle? Is this a bad angle? Micah arranged his God because, see, Micah's God is flexible. You can arrange him any way you want to. Uh, do, do, do I think, would it be okay for me to, like, have an affair with this other woman because she's really attractive and she's going through a difficult time and she understands me and my wife doesn't understand me? And, and so after all, I mean, really, would that be such a bad thing after all? Because you know what? My, my wife hasn't been treating me really well. So I, I just arranged my God in a way, oh, that would let me do this. Or, or I want to tell this lie, and it would get me out of trouble. And, 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 but I think lying could be wrong. But, you know, in this situation, you know, I think I'll just move my God over here because my God is flexible, and, and from this angle, it's okay. First of all, Micah's God was placed. And secondly, it was placed in Micah's house. Micah had God on his terms and God on his turf. See, in, in placing God, his God was flexible. In putting him in his house, his God was portable. Portable. But keep that in mind. Not only did he make his own God, number two, he set up his own religion. Micah set up a shrine. This is in 17.5. Micah set up a shrine for the idol he had made, a sacred ephod. That's an apron. I'm not doing an Aaron Rodgers thing. That's just. <laughs> Sorry about that. He made a sacred epod and household idol. So you got your own God. you got to make up your own religion because, after all, you need a worship service. And so he, he, he does it. He's only missing one thing. He's got his own God. He, he, he's invented his own religion. But he needs a preacher. He needs somebody to, to sort of like, you know, be the official voice. And so at first, the first thing that he does in 17.5, he installed one of his sons. But he knows that's no good because Micah's from the tribe of Ephraim and a real priest would be from the tribe of Levite. And so that's artificial. It just feels gauche. But Micah's luck changes. In 177, one day a young Levite, that's the right tribe, arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place. Now, guys, I know I'm not speaking to a group of ministers like I do sometimes, but let me tell you what I would say if I was speaking to a group of ministers. Beware the minister who's always searching for a place. I've served four churches and I've served this one for almost 28 years. And you know what? God sent me to every one of this. I assure you, I did not come to Kansas because I was looking for a place. <laughs> I love the beach. If I were looking for a place, it would have been in South Florida or San Diego. But I told Mary Allison we were in college. I mean, we were, I was an 18-year-old college sophomore. I said, I will go anywhere God sends me but Kansas. <laughs> So, I mean, here's the thing. I didn't come here because I was searching for a place. I mean, I'm here on assignment from his majesty. But in any event, this Levite, let's set that aside. This Levite came in searching for, searching for a place to live. As he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house. He was traveling through. And he said, where, where are you from, Micah? asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Notice he wasn't looking for a place to minister. He's looking for a place to live. Stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me, and I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year 
plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this. What did he agree to? Money. Money. So Levite, I mean, Micah's got it all right. He's made his own God. He's invented his own religion. He has hired his own preacher. Designer religion. And by the way, this preacher only seems to have one sermon. I know, I'm sorry for jumping ahead here, but um, in the next chapter, we're going to read about how some, Micah lived in a very expensive neighborhood. And some people who lived in a less expensive neighborhood actually lived in a pretty poor area. They didn't have any place to live. And so basically they wanted to come over and take everything Micah had and take everybody's houses. And so basically they were going to invade the area. But they sent some spies, and guess where the spies stayed? They stayed in Micah's house. And so while these spies, of course, nobody in Micah's family knows what these spies are up to. While they're in Micah's house, they, they start interacting with this priest. And so, you know, one of the guys who's going to come and invade the area, he sees this priest. And basically he's thinking about good luck too. So he goes to this priest and he says, hey, ask God if our endeavor is going to be successful. Now, he doesn't tell him that his endeavor is going to be to invade the country and take everything in the house. He just says, ask God if it's going to be successful. Now, listen to this preacher. He only has one message, it seems. Go in peace, the priest replied, for the Lord is watching over your journey. Go in peace. God is going to stamp anything you want to do. Now, he doesn't even know they're going to come take everything. Why did Micah do all this? Why did he make a God? Why did he invent a religion? Why did he hire a preacher? Well, the answer is found. For, and, and, you know, guys, here's the weird part about this. And this is where, where it really intersects where we live in 2012. I think Micah was a serious man. I think Micah actually thought this is going to work. Because he says in verse 13, I know the Lord will bless me now. I'm going to get good luck. I'm going to get juiced up in life. I'm going to have mojo working for me. I, I know now God will bless me. But, but here's the thing. Please, please think about this. Do you know what Micah has done? Micah has suspended reality. Micah is living in a parallel universe. I mean, he doesn't have a God. He doesn't have a religion. And he doesn't have a real preacher. Micah has suspended reality. He's not living in a real, real world. And, and somebody could say, well, Mark, okay, really, this is such a weird story. I think this story doesn't have anything to do with us today. Oh, yeah? I think Micah is like the average American. And do I have the courage to say it? I think Micah is like the average American Christian. Recently, Americans were asked if they believe five statements. Now, these five statements are basic. They're in the Bible. They're repeated throughout the Bible. So they're not strange teachings. These are just organic statements from the Bible. Do you believe the Bible is accurate? Do you believe Satan is a real being? Do you believe a person cannot earn their way into heaven by doing good? Do you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? Do you believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, creator of the universe, and still rules today? Now, those, those are not difficult messages to find in the Bible. They're all over the place. Those are basic. Only 9% of Americans believe that the Bible is accurate, that Satan is a real being, that you can't get to heaven by doing good things, that Jesus lived a sinless life, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, creator of the universe. I really wasn't surprised to read that only 9% of Americans believe that. But did you know that only 19% of American Christians believe that? 
78% of Americans say that they're, they're Christian. 45% say that they have been born again. And yet only 19% of American Christians claim to believe like the most basic elements of what it means to believe the faith. And even now, I, you know, I, maybe somebody's saying, well, Mark, okay, I'm one of the, and, and here's the thing, 71% of Americans said they're more likely, see if this rings a bell, more likely to make up their own beliefs. And it could be that you're sitting here and you're saying, well, Mark, I'm one of the 71 percenters. I am more likely to make up my own beliefs. And I'm not just going to accept something because the Bible teaches it. I'm okay. I understand. Well, let me ask you a question. What is that legitimizes what you do believe? What is that makes it real? See, Micah had a set of beliefs, but the problem was, you can say, well, Mark, I do. I, I want a God that's flexible. I want a God that's portable. I want a God I can set up in my house. I want a God that I can arrange to be okay with whatever I want to do. I want a religion I can have on my terms and pity the preacher who tells me something I don't want to hear. And I feel that in New Spring every once in a while. I mean, I can talk about something from the Bible, and, and I've seen people get up angrily and storm out. I don't take it personally because I didn't write the Bible. I don't take it personally. But there are people that say, you know what, I'm going to, I want what I want, and I want a God on my terms, and I want a minister who will tell me what I want to hear. I understand, but I love you enough to tell you this, and if I never see you again, let me tell you there are two issues with that kind of religion. Number one, it's not real. I have a genuine hatred for anything that's fake. And it started early with me. My mother was in the late service last night, and she tells a story about when I was like two years old, getting close to my third birthday. And it seems like as a kid, I was in love with mowing the lawn, something I quickly fell out of love with when I hit my teen years. But it seems like when I was two years old, I saw my dad mowing the lawn, and I wanted a, a lawnmower. Now, you got to realize I'm truly old. I mean, if, if those of you who are young, if you've ever seen vintage toys, you know a lot of them were made out of metal. They were shiny, you know, and they were, they were, they were, had, they were just painted. They were metal. Well, I, I had seen in the store where my parents shopped, I had seen a toy lawnmower, and I was being, being ADHD as I am. I mean, I can, like, hyper-focus on stuff. And I saw that lawnmower, and it was all I could think about. I want that lawnmower. And I talked about it all the time, drove my parents crazy. So one day they were in stores coming up to my third birthday, I guess. And they, they tried to move me aside so I couldn't see that the deal was going down. But somehow I saw it from a distance. And now I'm in the back seat of the car. And my parents are in the front seat with this package in between them. And I'm going ballistic in the back seat on I-35 in Fort Worth from downtown to my home. And I'm just talking about it and talking and going off the, off the, and finally my mother in desperation just handed it back to me and said, open it up, kid. <laughs> and you could hear paper tearing, and all of a sudden, Mom said, I began to cry and well and threw the lawnmower down, and as far as she said, I never wanted to see it again. You know what made the change? According to my mother, I said, the wires are just painted on. And I still feel the same way. (laughs) 
And guys, let me tell you something. Five seconds after we die, we're going to be somewhere. And we're going to be in a place where they don't take polls. We're going to be on a place that doesn't give a rip what Pierce Morgan or the Huffington Post or Fox News says. We're going to be in a place where nobody cares a bit about what the prevailing concept and what was politically correct in the United States of America. We're going to face the living God. And all that's going to matter is what we have. Is it real? Or were the wires just painted on? Because I assure you, the grief I had in the backseat of that car on a toy lawnmower having the wires painted on, it pales infinitely compared to what it would be like to walk into the presence of a living God only to discover that we made our own God, invented our own religion, and bought some preacher who would tell us what we wanted to hear. Because we'll get to heaven and find out the wires were only painted on. If there's the antitype of the scripture in Judges 17, it is when Paul was on Mars Hill speaking to the Athenians, the most intellectual crowd of his culture. And, and Paul said this, and I love this. This is, if you want to know who the true God is, listen to these words that Paul said. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. What are you saying, Paul? Paul you're, Paul's saying, I didn't make him, he made me. I don't set him up, he set me up. He doesn't live at my place, I live in his place. He's not here on my terms, I'm here on his terms. And if I'm going to worship him, I'm not going to have to worship him. And what I make up, I must worship him. In the words of Jesus to the Samaritan woman in John 4, I must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not junk I make up. Truth. And oh, by the way, if you can't make a God and you can't invent a real religion, could I just say to you, you can't buy a real man or woman of God. Not a real one. You can crucify him upside down like Peter. You can stone him like Stephen. You can saw him in half like Isaiah. You can burn him at stake like Tyndale. You can shoot him like Pastor Sammy in Syria last week. But there's one thing you can't do with a true man or woman of God, and that is you cannot buy them. A preacher who says only what a crowd wants to hear to curry favor and for money is a fake, and worse than a fake, he is a terrorist. Now, the first problem with Micah's, Micah's situation of making his own God, inventing his own religion, and buying his own preacher is fake. But now we're going to get to the bigger issue. And what could be bigger than a fake? Here's the thing. Oh, well, let's just read the story. And then we're now in chapter 18, and the people I talked about are going to come, and they're going to invade Micah's home, and they're going to take everything he has. Now, move forward to the place where they are now, these marauders are entering Micah's sanctuary, and they are now ripping off his gods. And it just so happens that this bought and paid for priest walks in and sees these guys stealing everything. Let's pick it up there. When the priest saw the man carrying off all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, what are you doing? Be quiet and come with us, they said. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe than for a household of just one man? The young priest was quite happy to go along with them. Why? More money. Better deal. Now, Micah now, and he's just this poor pathetic guy. I mean, can you get this in your mind? He goes out there and he finds out his God that he, like, put in his house and arranged to fit his lifestyle. His God has been stolen. His God is gone. All his gods are gone. And his preacher's been hired away. So Micah's furious. And he gets together a bunch of guys and live in his neighborhood. They're all softies because they've been living a comfortable, easy life. 
But these, you know, Mike and his buddies, they go riding after all the guys who stole everything. That's where we pick it up, okay? Look at this. The men of Dan turned around and said to Michael, what's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? Well, what do you mean? What's the matter, Micah replied. This is so pathetic. You have taken away all the gods I have made and my priests, and I have nothing left. Do you feel that? Isn't that pathetic? It's the quintessential definition of a wimp. You've taken my God. I had to come. I'm trying to come rescue my God. And you, and you hired away my preacher. I don't have anything left. Well, the men of Dan said, watch what you say. There are some short-tempered men around here who might get angry and kill you and your family. When Micah saw that there were too many of them for him to attack, he turned around and went home. No gods, no religion, no preacher. What is the lesson of this very un-PC message? Guys, this is so heavy, it almost concusses when it hits. So think about this. I will be the first to admit, because I like having my own way, I will be the first to admit it's very comfortable to have a God that you make. It's very comfortable to have a God that's flexible, that will like bend to whatever we want to do, that's portable, that we can set up in our house on our terms and our turf. But if you have a God so small that he, she, or it is flexible and portable, your God is small enough to get taken away from you, and it will. And the irony is you will have a God that you will have to rescue. I've seen people make a God out of money, and they have to go rescue their God. I've seen God, people make a God out of a person or a sex, and they have to go rescue their God. See, if your God, it's comfortable to have a portable, flexible God, but the problem is that God can get taken away from you. But if, on the other hand, your God is big enough not to get carted off, he's not very flexible, he's not portable, he comes on his own terms. And guys, here's what I must process. If he's big enough not to get carried away, he's big enough to tell me what to do. But if he's big enough to not get carried away and tell me what to do, with that, I get a God I don't have to rescue, but a God who is powerful enough to rescue me. And since most of the time I don't know what to do and I stay in trouble, I need that kind of God. I need the kind of God I don't make. I need the God who made me. I need a faith that I don't make up as I go, but a faith that comes from a living God. And I need to hear a message so that five seconds after I die, I will walk into the presence of God and he will say, I know who you are. How does that happen? Well, this is where the sermon gets kind of strange. I know we're in overtime, but for some of us, we have a background with religion. And religion says, okay, if you want to have a real relationship with God, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You know, I mean, somebody can say, well, Mark, are you saying I need to join New Spring Church? I love New Spring Church like I love my life, but nope, not being a New Springer won't get you into heaven. You're saying, Mark, you're saying I should be baptized. Wichita water can't wash away anyone's sins. By the way, we don't have sacred water. We have Wichita water here. Just want you to know that. No, no, no. It's much deeper than that. 
The God who loves you knows your name. The God who loves you knew that you and I were, I mean, I can't be perfect for 30 minutes, and God knew that. So here's what he did. He sent his son into the world, Jesus Christ, God and human at the same time. He lived that perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he laid down on a Roman cross, and he took the punishment that you and I deserved, hanging between heaven and earth for six hours. And the blood that came out of his body became a currency that paid for every sin and dysfunction in our lives. And that anyone who puts confidence in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, our sins are washed away and we're adopted into God's family. In fact, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him doesn't make up his own religion, but whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As I close out this service today, if you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I'd love to have a relationship with God, and, 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 and here's my guess. My guess is this message will, will find you in one of three places. Number one, you're going to say, yep, everything you said is true. I have a great relationship with God. I try to follow God. I dig it. My guess is that most of us are probably like me. And I, I, I'm honest enough to tell you I struggle with this because there are times when I want the true God in my life, but there are other times when I kind of want a little flexibility in my, in my situation, and I can talk a little bit. And there's some of us who are like me, and we're saying, you know what? I need to get to the place where what I've got is completely real. I don't need a God that's flexible and portable. I need the true God, and, and I want to settle that. I'm not going to stay on top of the fence. I'm going to settle it. And it could be that you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I've never really had a relationship with God. Well, you can have one by asking for it, and I'll help you. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but if you mean these in your heart, that's the important thing. God's just looking for a big yes, but if you mean these, God will hear your prayer. Would you pray with me, please? And, and just like I say these words before a bride and groom and they repeat, you repeat these, but the important things, you mean them. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I want a real God. I don't want a fake God. I don't want a relationship with you where the wires are just painted on. I want to know the true God. I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know we're very crowded this morning, but when you came in, you got a talk to us card. If you, you, could you say, Mark, what just happened to me? I just prayed a prayer. I've got a gift I want to give you if you just prayed to receive Christ. Just if you will, fill out the card and check the boxes as I prayed to receive Christ. You can bring it back to guest services in the lobby or in the back. And there's a gift. It's got a book I wrote a DVD, and a coupon for a new Bible. Nobody will hassle you or stalk you. We just want to give you that. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next weekend. God bless.